Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is our Q&A show. Today we talk about an ugly word, blame. Hopefully we all know that placing blame on anything or anyone is simply giving our power away. Well, Zig Ziglar drives home this point with a short message and states that when we stop blaming and take responsibility for our lives, we free ourselves up to move freely and faster. Hearing these truths and actually walking in them, however, two very different things as we all know. Most of the time, blame just slips in and we don't realize we're giving our power to it. When it comes in the form of a person, as Zig points out, it also requires forgiveness. Well, from this concept and Zig's message, I posted this question to you, our Ziggler listeners. What is something or someone you blamed that was holding you back and now you've let go, in essence, forgiven and have moved on to greater success? Well, I believe you'll find the responses here comforting and freeing, equipping in essence. If someone else can move beyond a well-deserved blame, so can you. And you're going to hear some significant ones. Well, Tom Ziegler joined me to talk through these heartfelt responses. Okay, folks. Well, here Zig Ziegler kicks us off with a short message. It's just over a minute. Here we go. When you've been blaming somebody else for your problems all of your life, now all of a sudden you forgive them, you can no longer blame them. That means you're now accepting responsibility for your future. And that's the most important step you will ever take, accepting that responsibility. Because you'll discover the load is so much lighter that you can move so much faster. Marcus Aurelius put it this way. How much more grievous are the consequences of anger than the causes of it? I love what author Bill O'Hearn says in uh, one of uh, his little books. He makes the observation that imagine in life that you're given so many grams or ounces or BTUs of energy and that every time uh, you love somebody and are nice to somebody, you're given an extra portion of energy. Now, when all the energy is gone, that's the end of your life. And he said, imagine that every time you seek revenge and let anger control your life, that a double portion of that energy is burned. He said, in short, what you're doing is shortening your own life. Now, incidentally, that's exactly what the doctor says about it. You need to learn to forgive. Well, thank you, Zig Ziglar. And friends, you know, if you hear these clips from Zig Ziglar and aren't fully familiar, go to Ziglar.com. Get one of his books or audios. Seth Godin didn't cite Zig as the grandfather of motivation and inspiration and personal development for nothing. Do yourself a favor. Uh, and in admission for this recording coming up, I had a little bit of a bug. My voice was a tad off, as you'll notice. So my apologies. Okay, again, from Zig's message, I asked this question, what is something or someone you blamed that was holding you back and now you've let go, forgiven, and have moved on to greater success? Here then, Tom Ziegler joins me to talk through your responses. Well, Tom, we know this topic of blame is significant. It's, it's foundational. It's fundamental. Uh, I think it's one of those things we would all nod to the relevance of, the crippling aspect of, and yet like many things, I think it's hard for any of us as humans to not be living our lives with, without giving some energy, some credence to blame. And as I was thinking about this, as I was reading through people's comments, 
I thought, well, I'm going to ask you, I mean, the first thing that came to mind, I thought, where are, what are the primary areas of blame? And I was expecting to write a list down of lots of things, but I wrote people, other people, circumstances, and self. And I really had a hard time thinking of anything else that came out of those umbrellas or, you know, otherwise than those umbrellas. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I man, I agree a hundred percent. Um, and I think also it's our, uh, it's just our mindset about blame. And what I mean by that is I'll, I'll often tell people the reason that you think you can't is the very reason you should. I mean, look at the greatest, I mean, go back, think about this, Kevin, think of your top 20 podcast episodes that we've had, right. Of just yeah. people people, experts who come on, people who have had life-altering events, overcome obstacles, been in horrible accidents, have some sort of disease. And the platform that they've created and the lives that they've touched is because the reason that most people would say they can't is the reason they did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the first start on blame is, man, we've got to turn that around. We've got to flip it in our head to this is why I am going to do it. That was your dad. I mean, that was Zig, and, you know, and thinking about him and thinking about just what you said, all the guests, the amazing guests, these influencers, these successful people, leaders in our culture that we're interviewing that we have on the show. And yet you're right. Not only do they have generally every reason to have been overcome in their lives by things that were relevant to blame generally, they have more than the norm. Most of them have far more than I do, I gotta admit. They have far more reason to blame, and yet they did just what you did. They took that as a reason or strength even to go the different, a different direction. Yeah, and you know, one of the stories in dad's yeah. life that he never really, uh, he, he didn't talk about it, right? It was just a driving factor. When he was a boy, I think he was 11 or 12, he was at the Yazoo City Country Club, uh, as a guest. So dad's family was like the second poorest family in the, in the town. And one of his friends who belonged to the country club said, Hey, come swimming with me. And the rule was he got there before his friend. And the rule was he couldn't get in the pool until his friend got there. Well, it's like a hundred degrees, you know, Mississippi Delta, <clears throat> his friend's not there yet. So he gets in the pool and another member saw it and knew what was happening, knew that dad got in the pool, and he knew that his friend who was a member was going to be there, and that old guy had dad thrown out of the pool. And so dad made a vow that day. He said, I'm never setting foot again on that, on that, on the Yazoo City Country Club. And he said, someday I'm going to have a swimming pool bigger than theirs. Wow. And then that's the story of the arrow-shaped swimming pool in 6148 Dillbeck Lane in Dallas, where I grew up. We don't live there anymore, but, you know, you should just Google Earth it. You'll see the arrow swimming pool from the satellite picture, because I've looked at it. It's 48 feet long. It's three feet longer than that. And so I look at how many people are in life, and they're like, oh, I can't do it. You know, I lost a parent, single mom, raised in poverty, didn't do well in school. And yet dad used all those reasons as the very reason why he could reach people who needed the help more than all. And so it's that mindset of how we, how we 
change it in our mind, how we position it to use it as leverage, not as a weight that holds us down. Uh, well, you know, on this, Tom, I wanted to ask for you, candidly, you and, and me, what are some things in our lives that we admittedly have dealt with giving blame to? You know, I'd love to say that <clears throat> as the host of Ziggler Show and a lifetime student of Zig and many other personal development kings and queens, uh, I have done away with blame. That would be a flat-out lie. And as I thought about it, Tom, I, the, the almost shameful admission is I think I have, over time, given the size of my family. Well, I, I think everybody knows i got a big family. I, I love them. I'm the wealthiest guy on the planet. But sometimes I have used that as an excuse as to why I can't do X, Y, Z. But the bigger one, and I didn't really think about this. It's not surprising to me, but I didn't really take it captive. The bigger one, I think I have used my idealism, my desire to do good, my altruism, my servitude unto God, sometimes as a scapegoat, as to, you know, I, I, haven't, I, didn't, I didn't make wise decisions over here, business, financial, whatever. I, I'm, I'm here, I'm focused on doing good. And I think I use that uh, as a scapegoat, I put blame on that sometimes for lack of success sometimes in my endeavors. I don't, I don't really like admitting that. Um, but because uh, I, I think I tend to think of blame in regards to a person. I don't generally put blame on somebody else. It feels like giving them my power. I don't want to do that. But we look at circumstances, and I guess this is really more of a, a, a circumstantial thing and even a self aspect that I have given some blame to over the years. How about you? Oh, let me think of my blame. Gosh, you know, for me, it has to do with, um, I, I just, I just bow down and say, Oh, I just got too much to do. There's too many things going on in my life. There's too much happening. And so I blame my, well, one of the things we talked about is circumstances, right? Yeah. And so I blame my, my circumstances. It's not really perfectionism. It's, it's just, I've got too much to do. So I can't do that. Yeah. And I got, I got called on that. Uh, Bob Teedy, who we've had on before, uh, who's just fantastic. He's got these questions that he said, I said, Bob, I'm overwhelmed. He said, what's the deal? I say, somebody brings me something and I'm, I know it's a good idea. And I just look at him and go, I wish I could help, but I got too much going on. And he said, well, you're asking the wrong question. And I said, Bob, what do you mean? He said, Tom, here's the question. It's not, how do I do that? It's who should do that. So a lot of times we, we blame the circumstances. Oh, I can't do this or that's impossible when really we are not asking the right questions about the situation. Most of the good ideas that come to us, we're not the ones who's supposed to do it all. We might be the connector. We might be the one who gets the catalyst going, but it's not our role to, to actually do the whole project. But we feel like it's our responsibility to do the whole thing. We think we're alone. We're, this is me. I think I'm alone. I think I'm an island. Yeah. And, and so rather than framing it right, I blame the circumstance and say, well, I wish I could, but it's just overwhelming. Yeah. Reality is, is I'm supposed to be the connector for somebody else to do it. 
Man, that's, yeah, that's significant. Well, all right. I'm going to read some folks and what they shared here. Colin Martin, he says, what has he blamed? He said, myself. For all the times I failed to live up to my perfectionist standards, I could never reach. For the boneheaded things I said, for the things I've done and failed to do. Once I learned that I could move past my past, I learned I could move forward. You know, and as I read that one, Tom, I would have to admit that's where my primary blame uh, battle is, is just with myself. I expect a lot of myself. I expect too much. I really think I'm far more powerful and in control than I really am. And, and with that, uh, I blame myself when things don't turn out well. You know, it's a Superman complex, a God complex, call it what you will. And it sounds good intended. You expect a lot from yourself. But then when you don't come through with everything, which you can't, I can't, I'm not in control of the world. I'm not in control of my wife, my kids, and everybody's well-being that I try to, uh, I'm setting myself up from disappointment. And what I've found recently, or I, what I've, 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 I've been revealed, I guess, to me, is that uh, it's really hard to have compassion, to embody that when I am so hard on myself. I don't have compassion for myself, and therefore it's hard to give out what you don't have uh, inside of you. And uh, compassion has been a big focal point for me lately. And I've had to come back to, why can't I be more compassionate with my wife, my kids, with other people? I'm not with me at all. And until I'm able to do that, my gosh, that's a whole different ball of wax. That's a whole different self-awareness that I have never given a lot of attention to. So to what Colin said, man, I am with you, Colin. Tom, thoughts? You know, I was uh, flying back from, Tampa and I was sitting next to a young guy. I say young, he's probably 40. So he's young to me. And uh, he had a different look in his eye and we got to talking and it turned out uh, graduated from West Point, served in Iraq and Afghanistan, two tours, then went to Green Beret School, special forces, went back. So now he's a special forces guy. So he's, so now the look is really making sense. Here's a leader and an officer and a special forces guy. And I said, well, you know, you always hear people talk about hell week, whether it's the seals or green beret or whatever, what was that like for you? And so we started talking about it and this is, this is what he said. He said, you know, as a leader, as a commander, uh, my, instinct was always to put my body and my will between the enemy and my team, right? It's constantly, that's it. So he says, we're going through hell week. And he says, I know what they're doing. They're sleep depriving us. They're not feeding us. They're making us work 20, 21 hours a day. And they're trying to get us to break down. And he said, every time we would get to that breaking point and I would see somebody suffering, I would drag myself over there to help. Cause I'm the, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm the guy. And then he said, I got to that point where I couldn't. And he said, that's when they come in and break you down and say, how'd that make you feel? Cause they want to know the response, right? They want to know what happens when you get to the end of your rope, what happens. And he had to talk through it. And then he realized they were trying to show him, that there is a point 
where the best thing you can do is take care of yourself. Wow. wow. The best thing you can do at the end is you've got to be in order to, to provide a solution. You've got to have the capacity to, to, to provide it. And, and for him, this was a huge thing because what he was feeling was blame and all those things for not being big enough to handle it. Right. Because he's supposed to whoever, whatever thought he was supposed to. So, yeah, I get it, man. I, I get it when you just, if you, if you feel that way, you don't have compassion for yourself. So you can't be compassionate for someone else. Well, we didn't make that a topic of a show or I need to interview an expert on self-care. It keeps coming up more and more and more. It seems like the dawning of a new age of looking at that into just what you're saying. We cannot give what we don't have inside. We can't pour out what we don't have within us. And uh, boy, you and I grew up in that culture. Man, you just, you pour out, you go hard, you don't sleep. We talked about that earlier. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Uh, we need to get more focused on that. Well, here, let me read another one. Uh, Katarzyna, I think is her name, Jenner. She says, my dad was an abusive alcoholic. He also had some great qualities. I have PTSD as a result of my experiences with his behavior. I also know he loved us, uh, but about three years ago in June, his dementia, plural, took a turn and uh, he went downhill. The following week, I had an accident. I was able to do a lot of work around this relationship as I was homebound for six months. During this time, he declined. I saw him three times for about seven hours total in the last five weeks. After passing, everything changed. It's as though I couldn't move forward without closure. Uh, the last two years have been dramatic and life-changing. Every time I think about it, it all started with my dad's seizures that June day. We since moved on. We live in paradise. I just finished publishing my first book, and I'm pursuing new things and moving forward. Well, with that one, Tom, of course, I could not. Uh, the first thing that came to mind is the story that uh, you and I, I don't know if Zig came up with it, the story of the two brothers with the alcohol. Okay, fill us in. Give us that story again for those who haven't heard. Yeah, there were two brothers. Uh, one of them was serving a 40-year jail sentence. The other one uh, was a successful businessman. So they interviewed them both, and they asked the one in, in prison. They said, you know, how do you explain your life? And he said, well, my father was an alcoholic, abusive man. You know, he beat me and my parent, you know, my mom. And it was, you know, where else would I be? Then they go to his brother and they say, hey, you're an icon in the community. You're worth millions. You've given millions away. You own a bunch of businesses. How do you explain it? And he said, well, my father was an alcoholic, abusive man. This is the twin brother of the guy in prison. He goes, he goes, how could I be anywhere else? I spent my whole life trying to be the opposite. Yeah. Right. And, and the ultimate there is in, and this is where the hope comes in because people have different trauma, different experience. Nobody can claim they know somebody else's experience. But what I believe is that we can all make a choice to use that to, to start making good decisions to start that fuel. You know, dad was just wired in such a way that, man, he was going to show them. He was going to show those guys, and it worked, right? He, he came out of it. Other people in that same situation would have been like, well, I guess I'll never, ever fit in at a country club, 
right? I don't belong here. I mean, look what happened to me as a kid. I got, I got thrown out. Everybody's different. Every circumstance is different, but I'm going to put a positive spin on this. When I do our training, like whether it's Ziggler Legacy Certification or Choose to Win or Full Days with clients, uh, often one of the things that we'll talk about is our goals, dreams, and aspirations. And I'll have everybody go through that, and then I'll have them repeat this out loud. And they'll, they'll, they'll repeat it out loud back to me, and here's the sentence. I am ridiculously in charge of my dreams. And I've been in places where it's like the whole class says it, and then there's like five seconds of silence, which is a long time of silence when you're in that type of an atmosphere. And then there's all these exhales. And then there's the, the eyes kind of light up. And so some people don't realize that their dreams are within their realm of possibility, that they do have the choice to go after it. And others don't think they are in charge of their dreams. They think somebody else has it. Right. And so what we've got to do is we've got to wake people up to say, hey, you know what? You are in charge of your dreams. And the same thing that rises up inside of you that says I'm in charge of my dream is the same thing that says, wait a second. I can't blame anybody else any longer for where I am. Yeah. Bad things happen. Things that were beyond my control. Um, you know, it probably wasn't intentional or it could have been whatever the circumstance is, I'm not giving that the power over my life anymore. I'm going to make a new decision to go in this direction. And so please hear me that this is not easy. This isn't something that's taken lightly and everybody's been on a different journey. But it's amazing to me how when people all of a sudden realize, wait a second, I can make my life better every single day simply by the choices that I make and if one of the choices is to let go of those things that were beyond my control that are holding me back or me blaming myself, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. Okay. That reminds me, Tom, that, that topic or that quote, I am ridiculously in charge of my dreams. In show 495, it's been a while now, we interviewed Tom Bilyeu. Uh, he's well known as one of the founders of Quest, Quest Nutrition, the Quest bars that you see in the grocery store, billion dollar company. He's since gone on, and he is fully enmeshed in personal development. He has a, a show, in essence, an online show called Impact Theory. But I interviewed him, and one of the things we talked about is a admittedly controversial little video clip. It was actually an interview he was doing with another guy. He kind of went off on a tangent, uh, and it's titled, Everything is Your Fault. Obviously, you know, contrarian view, he's got some shock value there. But if you type in Tom Bilyeu, B-I-L-Y-E-U, everything is your fault, you'll see the little clip. And it's in essence saying, he, he, go, he takes it to the ridiculous. You know, if, you're, if, if a meteor falls through the sky and lands on his wife in the living room and kills her, <clears throat> he's going he's gonna to take it as his, as his fault. Well, he, you know, he later on in the clip says, oh, is there any way it could possibly be his fault? No. But the moment that he gives power to that thing, uh, he is blaming. And so it's a very, again, exaggerated aspect of it, but it just has always got me thinking about that power. I'm at my power, the power of my life. And when I give blame away, blame to something else, I am, I'm taking power out of my life. And, you know, going back to that, I'm ridiculously in charge of my dreams. I, I think we can debate 
the, the nuances of that and the extremities of some of those. But by far and large, I think we're much better off to take that stance as opposed to come over and say, no, I have relevant blames. I, I do have a reason to be a victim, which, I mean, of course, some people do. I have people in my life who, who were victimized. Absolutely. Thank God they didn't take that and let it overcome their lives. Well, hey, Kyle Riley here, he says, what did he blame? <clears throat> Everything and everyone else. I used to always blame everyone else for how my life has turned out. If so-and-so wouldn't have done that, or if that person would have, wouldn't have done this, uh, until, and he has in quotes, through personal development, or parentheses, through personal development, until I could start realizing that everyone is self-made, but only the rich will admit it. I had not heard of that quote before. I would always blame everyone else for my problems. It's, it's only within the realization of that quote why my life started to change. And I actually asked him on Facebook. Now, folks, I post these on Facebook on my personal page, Agent K as in Kevin, Agent K Miller, where you can find me. I invite you to join in these too. But I asked him, I said, was there a catalyst for recovery? And he says, I guess it would be just personal development. Uh, and also just getting so sick of where my life was uh, then, I started listening to personal development because I knew I had to change. I really like that, Tom. How many times do we see people, including I'll own this, myself, who finally do, finally get out of something. We are just so sick and sick and tired of being sick and tired, in essence. And we get that point. Unfortunately, a lot of people never get to that point and they just kind of endure and exist through life. Thank goodness for those that get so sick of it that they are willing to make a change. Uh, great testimony by Kyle. And I think that's, he just spoke for a dramatic amount of people. I use an illustration that's called the Trinity of Transformation, and it's a balloon. And so just for time's sake, I'll do it very, very briefly. But you're in a balloon that's taking you from where you are to your dream, where you want to go. And so you're in the basket of your balloon, and the balloon of hope is rising, and you're turning the furnace on with grit. You know, you're working hard. You've got your dreams, gifts, and talents there. And then the balloon gets stuck. And so here's the interesting thing. Uh, in life, there are, there are two kinds of forces. There are what we call driving forces, motivating forces, things that we want to be, do, or have, and achieve, right? It's like a magnet pulling us towards it. It's who we want to become. We get excited about it. And then there's a thing called restraining forces. And these are the things that are holding us back. And so imagine in your balloon and you know where you want to go and it's taking you there and then it stops moving and you're stuck. You look over the side of the balloon and you see a rope and the rope has got you tied to the ground. And so to me, blame is one of those ropes, yeah. right? There's a lot of ropes. There's mindset, there's habit, there's all kinds of ropes that you can have and so what, he, what Kyle is really talking about, I think, is, is he realized he looked over the edge of his balloon. He was sick and tired of being stuck in the cloud, right? He's stuck in this place in his life where it's just raining all the time. And he's like, how come I can't move? And he looks over the side of the rope, and he's got all these, uh, the balloon, he's got all these ropes. And so he starts getting his knife out, and he starts cutting the rope. And one of those cuts he had to make was blame. Because you hear it all the time. Well, I can never go to school. I can never finish college. Why not? Well, nobody in my family's ever graduated from college. He's blaming his family. Meanwhile, 
you know, 10,000 people a semester graduate from college who they're the first one in their family to ever graduate from college. So that blame, that excuse is a rope that's keeping you from going where you want to go. So that's, that's a great illustration. That's a great illustration. That is a lot. Even that just, uh, that's a, there's, maybe there's your next book title. Uh, what is holding, you know, just that, what is holding me back? Looking at that and getting it out on the table. What is really holding me back? We all have those, those ropes to various degrees. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Well, here's another big one. Jennifer writes, I forgave the most evil person in my life in about two months' time after the shock wore off. But it took me 12 years to forgive myself. When I did, I was able to pursue things that I had lost hope in and see pieces of my true self that had faded. That when, you know, forgiveness comes up a lot, especially when we talk about blame, we talk about that ropes, things holding us back. Forgiveness comes up, but it's usually, I think when we talk about that, we're usually thinking about somebody else, somebody that did something to us that we may have absolutely been a victim of, but then do we forgive ourselves? So I'm going to pick on, on a piece of this one, Tom, because I know part of Jennifer's story is divorce, <clears throat> and I assume that's what she's talking to. But uh, I, you know, I, I can't say that for sure. But I'm going to talk about that. I, ju I just recently read something on that that we tend. Somebody was taking a contrarian view, so forgive me for uh, maybe making an exaggerated point. But uh, the guy talked about divorce specifically and how often, generally, we blame that other person. And he says, how interesting, because he finds that a lot of times it's the person, it, it's them themselves that they're having a hard time forgiving instead of saying, you know, hey, because this person did this X, Y, Z. Often it's, I made a poor decision. I was rash. I was immature. I married for the wrong reasons. You can put a bunch of things in there that we're often upset at ourselves. How did I make that bad decision with that person? And uh, again, where are we giving that power? Divorce is a, a really hard crucible because we generally think, uh, it seems like the testimonies, we think that other person changed. They turned out not to be who they, who we thought they were. And he's turning around saying, oftentimes we were a bad judge of character. Uh, and nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to admit that. Nobody wants to put the blame back on themselves. But so let's say that that's what Jennifer did here. So let's say she did. She forgave whoever it was. And, uh, but 12 years to forgive herself. You know, sitting in that space is how many of us, back to where we began, what are the biggest causes of blame? How many of us are sitting here and our rope is forgiving ourselves? It's probably far more than what we would like to think. Don't you think, Tom? I do. You know, that reminds me back when I was a younger person, I thought I'd committed like the most ultimate dastardly deed. And so like every day I'd pray for forgiveness, pray for forgiveness, pray for over and over and over again. And after it seemed like months, I was just really deep into that. Uh, it was just kind of overwhelming. And God basically, I don't know how I heard it or he just put it on my heart. He was like, Tom, I gave, I forgave you the first time you asked. That's a hard one, right? Because we, we want to pay the price or we think that we're unforgivable uh, or, you know, we don't take that. We don't look at it for, you know, for who we are. Gosh, every day, I wish every decision I made was perfect. You know, gosh, well, who would we be if that was the case? 
<laughs> so I don't think we would be here. <laughs> yeah, a hard lesson. I think even you know here we are in the personal development world, and that is a hard, it's a hard reality to grasp. Here, I've got a fun one for you, Tom. Okay. Caleb Miller. I think you know that guy, don't you? I know. I've been quoting him like every day. Have you really? I have. Well, let's talk about that. So, folks, Caleb Miller is my oldest son, uh, first biological kiddo. He is now living in Nashville, and uh, Tom was recently in Nashville. To uh, You met with my, my family, Dan and Joanne Miller, and my son was there, Caleb. Uh, you were there for the Ramsey Show. You did that talking about the new book, Choose to Win. And you and my dad, Dan Miller, and my son, Caleb, went out for dinner, and he has continued to talk. Well, here, I'll, I'll read, read what he says. He says, I have let go of being a victim of my circumstances and moving on to intentionally pursuing victory and success and choosing to push through to the circumstances I want. If anything, I let go, but the bigger effort is taking hold of the victory I want to live in. And as Tom Ziegler would say, I can choose to let go and take a hold of what I want, and that's what I'm doing. Always a process, but now going uphill. And folks, for his backstory, when he was five days old, so our first little kiddo, uh, great, great birthing experience, but five days old, he had a brain hemorrhage and had a seizure. And that began a process that went to the age of 12. He had 11 different surgeries. Uh, the amount of months spent in the hospital, I don't know. And the amount of different things that he was a victim of, things that happened to him medically. He was a, he, he was not, he didn't leave a, a, lead a proactive life. His life was reactive. The next thing that happened, the next hospital visit, the next surgery, the next recovery. And that led into a life, and he's admitting that now at the age of 23, of feeling like a, a victim and having a difficult time being proactive in life. So that's a significant programming. And my wife and I, we've questioned it a lot. Did we coddle him too much? Did we enable him too much? And the answer is yes, even though we look back and go, what would we have done differently? I mean, he was in the hospital. He was you know, in a bad way. I, I don't know. So either way. That's his life. That is the, quote, reality of his life that now he's having to look at. And, well, you heard what he said. And, Tom, I know you guys had significant conversation. Yeah, we did. And he's, he's right on there. And, it, this, you know, this reminds me of uh, we had John O'Leary on. And he uh, – John O'Leary, right. Uh, yeah. And he said when he had his accident, when he got uh, basically burned over a big percentage of his body – and he was in the emergency room in the burn trauma center, you know, within an hour or two of the accident, his, his mom's there and they the doctors have shared the news with her, you know, this doesn't look good. And she comes in the room and he looks up and he says, mom, am I going to die? And she says, you tell me, do you want to live? And I don't know where a parent's wisdom comes from in the case like that. Yeah. You know, I'd only pray that I could say something like that. But that was one of those life-changing moments where regardless of the circumstance that happens to you, you have a choice of responding or reacting to it. And it's hard. It's not easy. And sometimes it takes years before you get to that awareness. I got an email today. Uh, from a gentleman. Uh, he said, Hey, I, I, I ran into this guy and, and he worked for your dad years ago as a driver at, through the get motivated seminars. 
And he said, your dad changed his life without even really doing anything. They were going from one uh, facility to the next. Should have taken 20 minutes drive, but because of traffic, it took over an hour. And so the driver was under a ton of pressure to get there to get to the next stage where, you know, 15,000 people are going to be ready to listen to Zig Ziglar. And the seminar promoters were on the phone and they're calling them and they're saying, hey, what's going on? Where are you? And he said the whole time, he said, Zig Ziglar's in the back seat reading the newspaper. And he said, I had to give him the news that we're going to be late. And instead of being worried or stressed out, he said, Zig Ziglar looked at me and said, oh, that's okay. It just gives me more time to read. <laughs> How many of us, you know, it's like, it's, it's like the event that we're supposed to be at our peak performance. Something happens in our circumstance and then the fear, the anxiety, the blame, the worry, all those things happen. And now we have an excuse of why we can't be at our best. Yep. Right. And the example that dad always said was, Hey, you know what? I have no control over the circumstances. It's irrelevant. When I get there, when I'm supposed to get there is when I'm going to get there and I'll be at a hundred percent because none of that, I choose not to place any of my value, any of my ability to perform because the circumstances are good or bad. Well, okay. So I've been sitting here doing a little homework real quick. Uh, you mentioned John O'Leary folks, John, I think he was nine and uh, ultimately I'm basically blew himself up and got burned. I think it's 99% of his body was like third degree burns. No way he should have lived and changed his life. So we interviewed him in, in show 405. Okay. So if you scroll back to show 405 and my question, I, you know, I don't know if I asked him the question or if I referenced somebody else, but kind of that thing of, Hey, if you could go back, you know, what would you, uh, how would things look? And I, I've always struggled and I think still do to this day. He says, I wouldn't change it. I said, come on, seriously? You would be a nine-year-old, healthy, you know, uh, normal kid and let yourself get blown up, burned up, and all that happened to him. And he says, yeah, because look at the fruition of my life. Okay, another one that you know well, Tom. I show 561, folks. We interviewed Nick Vujicic. That's B-U-J-I-C-I-C. Born with no arms, no legs. Uh, and your statement has always stuck with me, Tom. And let me see if I can get it right. Unless you, if you, if you know it, if you remember it, jump in. But it was something like you take a guy who is the most vulnerable in our in our eyes. And he has no arms and legs, but the most vulnerable, and yet he's one of the strongest individuals you had ever yeah. met. And so obviously interviewing, but it was you saying that that it's just kind of stuck in my craw. And I so value my own ability and virility. Uh, physically he has none and yet you talk to him and he kind of made me feel like a little kid Not, in a good way uh he's just he's solid yeah he's what i thought when i when i he's we're friends we we speak every now and then is to me he is he's this package of he is the most vulnerable physically human being he can't he can't protect his face he has no arms he can't run away he has no legs and yet he's the most fearless human being. I've ever that was it. Thank you. That was it. Fearless. Yeah. So how do vulnerability and fearlessness go in the same package? It's that realization that, you know what? You can't touch me because the me that's important is untouchable. 
it's such an acute thing. I mean, I, I don't want to use this because you don't want to ever downplay somebody's struggle, somebody who's in a challenging position. But yeah, to some degree, for my own head to go, look, whatever I'm dealing with right now, would I? Would, is it worse than having no arms and no legs in the next moment? Yeah, pretty much nothing that's ever happened to me. Um, and that, yeah, and then and then he'll tell you he'll turn around and tell you that he battles depression. Yeah, right. And so there's fearlessness and vulnerability in the same package again. Wait a second. You know, you just got this image on the stage and he changes all these lives. He travels the world. And you know what? Sometimes he's like, man, I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but And what you said too, he's famous. He's wealthy. He's happily married. He has a kid. <clears throat> um, it, it's amazing. I got to mention one other uh, show, 505 folks. We interviewed Eric Weinmayer. Uh, he is well-known, famous as well, same thing like Nick. And he was, uh, he's blind. He was born without eyes. Matter of fact, I asked him, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember that, Tom. It was kind of one of those foot-in-mouth things. I asked him, well, hey, you know, because he's, he's a wealthy guy. And I said, are you pursuing uh, opportunities to see again, you know, to fix things? And he said, um, I-, I was born without eyeballs. Uh, oh, that's that's hard to fix. Um, <laughs> that guy, he, he hiked uh, um, Mount Everest. Uh, he, with a book that we talked about him, it was called, gosh, what is it? Uh, no Barriers, is he rafted the Colorado River going through the Grand Canyon. I mean, just nuts, nuts stuff. But, but pretty stark things. Again, not to minimize our, I mean, the point of, is not to minimize our struggles. Those are all relevant. And all those guys will tell you that. They have a lot of people saying, well, gosh, yeah, compared to you, I should be, you know, I should be happy and everybody in here. That's not about the point. It's all relevant. We have relevant things in our lives that we sh- that should have compassion for those, and those are those are as relevant as anything. These guys that say it's as relevant as me not having arms, legs, eyes, being burned all over, or whatever. But either way, what are we going to? Are we going to give our power to that? What are we going to do with it? Are we going to be overcome by it, or are we going to overcome? And and, and to these guys messages are we going to use that as you said it before tom are we going to use that as a, as a power and strength to even do more well it's convicting um i guess i shouldn't be complaining too much about my little cold here huh? uh <laughs> pretty minor in the grand scheme of things again not to downplay things but again blame tom i know you deal with it your personal coaching i'm sure personal coaching in the in the events i know you're doing some coaching right there at super hq today that blame has got to be one of the primary foundational handicaps. As you said, the rope on our hot air balloon uh, of anything, good one to get on the table and deal with. Huh? Absolutely. Well, folks, thanks for all the submissions. I wish we could have gotten through them all, but I hope this gave you some freedom and permission to deal with those things that we would otherwise use as blame and handicap our lives. Tom, brother, always a gift. Thanks. Blessings. Okay, friends, I don't think any of us can hear this show and not be cognizant of areas of our lives where we attribute blame to our own detriment. So it's a great time to pause, consider, and change. Coming up next to show 675, I have an incredible guest and conversation. The topic, here you go. Can you really change the way you see yourself? In all truth, we spent much of the show expounding on how very hard it really is, which is why very few people ever do it. Well, can you is the question. Well, my guest is Rock Thomas. He has a goal cast video titled how to change the way you see yourself. Folks, it's been viewed over 100 million times. 
Do you get that hundred million? The guy has a hard story, a hard upbringing. It's not a perfect and pretty all wrapped up little deal here. Uh, but from it, he has truly done the Phoenix. He has risen from the ashes to uh, an essence of glory. And why do you care? Of course, the point is to showcase that if he can do it, so can you. Though there's a rub. If your story is not that hard, not that tragic, and more so if you are fairly privileged like me, you're arguably at a deficit. What do you do with that? I mean, there's a chance you'll never want something bad enough to do what it takes, which is just the basic ingredients of success. No secrets or formulas. It takes hard work, perseverance, faith, resilience. Well, this is the stuff that Rock has devoted himself to helping you with. Uh, He wrote the book, The Power of Your Identity, which you can get at his website, rockthomas.com. It goes deep into the power of what we believe about ourselves. We talk specifically about belief in this show. We generally believe things about ourselves because we have stark evidence But the question then is, is that it? End of story. Or can we begin to believe new things about ourselves, do new things, and achieve a different reality? Uh, Of great interest to me, folks, and I think all of you as well. And Rock states that changing your identity and reality just takes 4% outside your comfort zone, living 4% out your comfort zone on average. I bet you haven't heard that before. We tend to think we have to do some big 180 radical thing, right? A core perspective Rock shares is this, the words that follow I am will follow you. They become your reality. Think about that. What do you say after I am blank? It's a significant show, folks. Get ready for a ride in that one. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.